Good morning, church, and happy new year uh, to you. In fact, before we dive into this new year and dive into the content in this new series, I just want to take a minute and update you on one uh, piece of information. For those of you who are new uh, to Battle Creek Church, over the last two years as a church, we have been on this faith journey uh, that we've called All In where uh, we've challenged uh, our, our people uh, to go all in with Jesus. It's been a discipleship journey for two years. And, and uh, if you'll remember, those of you who were here, we called the church to two things. Number one, uh, 100% of us to go all in in bold faith and in bold generosity. And, and from the outset of that, we knew that God was calling us to greater levels of dependence upon him. And church, I just want to tell you, God has done some amazing things in your lives, in the family's lives, in the people's lives that make up our church. And our primary goal, if you remember, was 100% engagement. I don't believe we quite met that particular goal, but I will tell you that 5,000 households, 5,000 households in our church family have joined this all-in journey with us, and it has been amazing to see what God has done and continues to do in the lives of our families. Uh, a secondary goal we had uh, was $50 million over two years, and we, and we set that enormous goal believing that it, it would take God and, and all of us together to achieve uh, that goal. And, and if you'll remember, one year into a two-year goal, we felt like God was calling us to greater faith and greater dependence, and we raised that generosity goal from $50 million to $55 million. Now, just put this in perspective, two years ago when we entered this journey, a normal giving year was $12 million uh, for our church and, and, uh, in, and in terms of ministry budget. And through your generosity, I'm so excited to announce to you today that we hit $56.6 million in, in this two-year uh, initiative. And uh, some of you who've been on the inside and in the circle uh, of the prayer journey, I, I remember uh, when, when it was suggested that the goal should be 50, I said, I think 40. And uh, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what the Lord is doing, and far greater than a dollar amount that, that your generosity has led to is kids and students and adults of all ages coming to know Jesus Christ personally. In fact, over the last two years in our church, we've seen 900 salvations. 900 salvations. 1,100 baptisms. That, that, that is a church. It is a very big church that, that what God has added to our midst, and that's why we embarked on this journey, and that's why we exist as a church. And here's the thing, church. God is just starting with us. 
He's just getting started with us. And while we celebrated this unprecedented two years of, uh, of generosity, I'm telling you, I know he's just getting started with what he's wanting to do in us and what he's wanting to do through us. And so whether you're someone who, who was with us through this whole journey or today is your very first time to come to Battle Creek Church, uh, jump in on this generosity, this wave uh, of frenzy of generosity in this church and join us because the best days are ahead of us. Now, as we jump into a new year and jump into a chapter of scripture together, I want us to pray and bow our hearts before the Lord. So if you're able, would you just take a knee uh, right there at your chair? If not, just bow your heart before the Lord and surrender uh, through your will uh, while you just sit there in the chair, uh, bow your heart before him. And Lord, we just tell you today, we're incredibly grateful for what you're doing in our midst, what you have been doing. And, And Father, we're even more thankful for what you're going to do and where we're headed. And so today, as we dive into your word, we pray that you uh, w- would take us to new understanding of you, who you are. Father, as we look at your word, we don't want to use it just as a mirror to see ourselves and where it's relevant to us. This is your book and your story. Let us see you in it. Give us new insight into who you are and what you're doing and uh, where you're going and your heart. And so, Lord, today, uh, we, we just ask that you would take this word and open it into our lives today, that it wouldn't just be black ink on white pages, but it would be the very living word of God cutting us into our life source. And today we surrender to you and to uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and to the word of God. And we bow before you asking you to do what only you can do in our lives and change them. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say uh, amen and amen. Church, listen, the, the beginning of a new year is a great time every year to evaluate our lives where we've been, right, and what we've accomplished, but even more than that, where do we want to go? And I don't know if you've taken the time in the last week of this new year to think about that. What kind of life do you want to live this next year? And and fortunately for us, Jesus himself talks about this very thing. If you got your Bible, turn to John chapter 10. And in this passage, uh, Jesus is telling us why he came to earth and why he left heaven uh, to take on flesh and to die for us. Uh, Many of you know this verse. This is probably the most famous verse in this whole chapter. Uh, Jesus said, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Circle that word uh, life in your Bible and, and write this out beside it. Zoe, Z-O-E. That, that's the Greek word uh, there. It means God life. It, it's not life like you and I understand it, human life. It, this is a God life. It means a full life, abundant life. This was Jesus' goal and his mission, to lead us to the God life. And, and as our good shepherd, that's where he's leading us. And that's the shepherd's way, uh, which is what we're calling this series. But, but we also need to realize and come to the point of understanding that there is someone who does not want that for you, does not want that for uh, us. In fact, before uh, Jesus tells us his mission and why he came, he explains to us there is a thief who is trying to take it away from us. So look at what he says right before this, the first part of this verse. The thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying Zoe life. Now, now this whole chapter, John 10, is primarily about the good shepherd. But he is very clear that you and I have a very real enemy who wants to take us out. 
And so we're going to examine this one chapter of Scripture for four weeks over the whole month of January, and we're going to look at the shepherd's way, the way of Jesus. So let's back up uh, to verse 1 and get a running start, and and let's walk into this uh, passage of Scripture. Look at verse 1. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, Jesus is talking in farming terms, and he's talking in agricultural uh, terms because he grew up around it. Now, most of us did not uh, grow up. In fact, show of hands, how many of you grew up around uh, animals and farm? And, and Okay, golly. There's a reason they put a bass pro like a mile from this place, right? Uh, but, but, but sometimes his stories, are, 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 they're really good, but a bit of a disconnect for those of us who don't understand the culture, right? And so at times what we have to do is dig in to understand what it is that they're getting at and to make sense of the illustration. In, in, in those days, all of the sheep farmers of a town would build a sheep fold together. Now, I don't know if you knew that or not, but that is the way that it worked, and it was efficiency. And it was really just four stone walls with a gate, okay? And so they had four stone walls with a gate. And what you need to know is that there were two types of sheepfolds. Okay, in that day, uh, two types, and he is alluding to both, and it's important for you to know when he shifts gears in the illustration. One of the enclosures is out is in the village where the people live, and one of the enclosures is out in the wilderness or out in the pasture. Okay, they're two different sheepfolds, and in verses one through five, for those of you who write all over your Bible, kind of bracket one through five and put one kind of enclosure, and, and then in verses seven through ten, he switches the whole illustration to the second kind of enclosure. The point is this, that multiple shepherds would bring their flocks together into a sheepfold overnight, and a gatekeeper would be hired uh, to watch over them. And then each morning, the shepherd would come back and and get his sheep. And and each shepherd had a distinct way or calling uh, of the sheep. Years ago, when I preached Psalm 23, uh, some of you remember, we showed the video uh, of the whole tour group standing there uh, over a sheepfold, and and the shepherd told all of the people in the group the word to say. I don't remember something weird like, And, and it was, you say this word and the sheep will come. And like 20 people took their turn from child all the way to senior adult with baritone voices all the way to, you know, the other end of the spectrum. And, and they tried to call the sheep and, and all of us tried it. And, and then he said the word with his voice. And it was a miracle to watch hundreds of sheep at that very moment, turn and look and begin walking over to the shepherd. Why? They knew the shepherd's voice. And, and for you and I, I mean, it's like when you call your dog, right? And if you trained your dog properly, they answer you. Some of you go mad when you call your dog. Those of you who have cats, don't ever try to call (laughs) the cat. That's just one of thousands of reasons why dogs are superior to cats. (laughs) In fact, when I come into the house, you know, I'll say, hey, uh, to Meredith and the kids, and then, you know, I'm in Annie's face. Hey, baby girl, how are you? How was your day? Did you chase a squirrel today? In fact, when Catherine was a teenager, she she would say, maybe we should chase squirrels during the day to get daddy's attention because he comes home and he talks to the dog different than he talks to us. By the way, there are different kinds of pet owners, right? Some good, some bad, and, and then there's a whole third category, crazy town. 
The people who put their dogs in sweaters, right? And, and, and have air-conditioned dog houses. They send their dog to the therapist. And maybe they should see a therapist. But, 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 but I want you to think about this from the pet's perspective. If you're the pet, which kind of owner do you want, right? I'm going with crazy. If I'm the pet, I mean, in fact, in Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd, that word my is such a personal word and what's such a foreign word in that culture. What he's saying is the Lord is the third type. He's crazy about his sheep. He's crazy about his sheep. And in that day, each evening, the shepherd would uh, bring the sheep back to the sheepfold and, and, and the gatekeeper would take a rod and hold it over the gate to stop each sheep as they came into the sheepfold so that he can inspect them, right? He's stopping them and holding them up before he lets them to come in to make sure they have no injuries, really, so that they have no diseases. And in interpreting this passage, some commentators, say that the sheepfold represents heaven or it's a picture of salvation. And, and I just will tell you my opinion is it's not heaven because there's thieves and robbers there. So it's not heaven, right? And, and it's not salvation either because they're going in and out uh, of the sheepfold. And in fact, in the illustration, they're already a part of the fold before they go in. So it's not salvation. One answer could be the sheepfold represents Judaism. Now, in chapter 9, you, you, one chapter before, you remember that one sheep was kicked out of the fold and then brought under the care of the good shepherd, right? So I think it's Judaism. That's my opinion. And, and so Jesus is telling this story. I envision he's telling the story near the sheep gate. In fact, that's the way I write the story in my mind is that Jesus is standing in the sheep gate and there are sheep everywhere and, and he's using his context standing in the sheep gate to make a point and to tell the story. And, and the point is, is that Jesus came through the front door of Judaism. He came through the front door into uh, the, the sheepfold or Judaism. Remember, he was predicted by the prophets. We looked at this all Christmas uh, series. 330 prophets uh, predicted Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He fulfilled all 330 of them. So let, let's just keep reading, okay? Uh, uh, John 10, verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Verse four, after he has gathered his own flock, he walks out ahead of him. They follow him because they know his voice. So what Jesus has done in these first four verses, again, you can circle this. First four verses is he gives us an illustration. That's verses one through four. He's given us an illustration. And now in verse five, he's gonna turn and begin to explain the illustration, okay? So, so look at verse six. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration, okay? So John's telling us, this is an illustration. Don't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. By the way, I told you a moment ago, now he's shifting to the second kind of enclosure, the one that is in the wilderness, okay? So this part about being the gate, it's sort of strange to us, isn't it? To think of a person as being a gate is weird, right? You know, like I, I'm going to be on hinges and I, I, I'm going to be the gate. It wasn't weird to them. And I'll explain that in a second. But let's talk about this idea that, that Jesus uses right here when he says, thieves and, and robbers, thieves and robbers. And obviously he's not talking about a literal sheep thief. 
There must be a spiritual application to this. And by the way, these two words are different from one another. They're different in the Greek and they're different in their meaning. A thief, what is that? A thief is one who sneaks in, in secrecy. His goal is to not be seen, not be heard, to get in, get what he wants, get out without an encounter with anyone. A robber is different. That's someone who steals boldly with a gun, right? Violence is part of his MO. So so what is it? Well, in in verse one, he said they sneak over the wall, right? Now, here's the point. You got to know what the wall is. And when you understand the wall, this whole thing begins to make a little bit of sense. In Jesus' day, there was a phrase called building a wall or building a fence. And it meant that you would build a fence or build a wall around the Torah, around the law, around the law of God. The Torah is the law. It's the God-given covenant to be followed, and there are consequences for breaking the law. So what the rabbis, and in particular the Pharisees did, was they built a fence around the Torah. They added to the law with additional rules uh, to keep the law safe, right? So if you would abide by all these extra rules, you would never be in danger of breaking the real rules that God gave. It's as if you had a tree and you want that tree protected, so you put a fence around it, and so you can mow around the fence, but the tree will stay protected at, at all times. In fact, when Catherine and Eli were born, I had this idea of planting these little trees uh, that one day we could bring them back to see, and uh, the, the kid who was mowing the yard knocked them down with the weed eater, and so uh, they're gone. But, but I want to give you some examples of what this fence uh, did in their day, okay? So let's just take some examples. Here, here's an example. God said, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In other words, do no work on the Sabbath. Now, that got them thinking, and it got them discussing. Well, what is work? And in the discussions, they all had different ideas as to what work was. And so, consequently, they had different sets of rules. One one example was you could walk so far, right? You could only walk the number of steps it took you to get to the temple. That's all you could do on the Sabbath. Any more steps than getting to the temple was work. So if you took one step more, now you were working. And so they made rules around that. Uh, another one is you can't make anything, right? You can't produce anything on the Sabbath. So if you spit on the dirt, you made mud. So that was work. So if you're going to spit on the Sabbath, spit on the rock so that you're not making mud. So they added a rule. You see what was playing out here? Remember in John 5, Jesus healed the man born lame and then told him, take up your mat and they all went bananas. It was because he took up his mat on a Sabbath. Whoa, 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 whoa. big deal, right? And, and even today, the Jewish people still obey the fences. That, that a Jewish person today will do no work on the Sabbath, and that includes things like turning the light on and off. And so on the Sabbath, they have these timers on their lights uh, that, that will come on, and the lights will come off because you cannot be guilty of doing the thing like just flipping uh, the light switch. Or you might see Jewish people in cities like New York or whatever waiting at an elevator on Shabbat, uh, waiting for somebody else to push the button because they're not going to push the button on that day. All over Israel, they have Shabbat elevators. And I'll just tell you this from experience, don't get on that one because it's going to stop on every floor all the way up and all the way down, and it takes forever. Do not get on that one. Speaking of getting on that one and not getting on that one, next January we're going to Israel, and we don't just go and see the Bible sites. We go and see the culture. 
And understanding some of these things, because we're such a visual generation, it, it is important to our understanding of the Scripture. Just, just encountering the Jewish people in their own culture helps us understand a little bit of these rules. And so if you want to go with us January, now's the time to sign up because it takes a year to get ready to go. But, but pushing the button, flipping the switch, it could be work. And the point was, let's obey the fence. And if we obey the fence, we'll make sure that we never break the law. Smart, actually, right? It's margin. We've taught that before. But, but the problem was that many of the Pharisees and the scribes and the other religious experts began to teach that the fence is just as important as the law. And if you broke their fence, you were now guilty of breaking the law. And Jesus addressed this all the time. In Matthew 5, the greatest sermon ever, right? The Sermon on the Mount. He said this phrase over and over. You've heard it said. And what was Jesus doing? He was talking about the fence. He was talking about their traditions. He was not talking about the Torah or or, or the law of God. He's addressing the fence that they had put around the Torah. Are you with me? Okay, good. So Matthew 23, Jesus takes these guys on head on. And and, and he says, these guys are, are really, really good at interpreting the law, but don't follow their example. They don't do what they teach is what he says. In fact, he goes further and says they crush people with their unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. He calls them hypocrites. In fact, in some points, he calls them a brood of vipers. And and he says they say one thing and they do uh, another. And, And they set up these fence, and here's what Jesus points out. They set up these fences with loopholes, they expect everybody else to obey the, the, the fence and follow their rules, but with their own loopholes that they designed in, they're able to climb over the fence. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says thieves and robbers. And so here in John 10 and also in Matthew 23, Jesus is preaching. And here's what you need to know. He's using a text, a scripture, an Old Testament text. He's using prophecy. And he's pointing out prophecy. Ezekiel 34. Flip back. Ezekiel 34. I'll show you. In Ezekiel 34, there's a prophecy about shepherds. But again, this is not literal shepherds. He's talking about the leaders of Israel. And here's what Ezekiel says in chapter uh, 34. Watch. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended to the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and with cruelty. Now, when you read both of those New Testament passages in light of this Old Testament passage, it all begins to make sense and click into place. And now you see the pattern and the idea and the illusion, and you see how Jesus fits them all into place perfectly. So the Pharisees, the scribes, the other religious experts, according to Jesus, they're thieves. And they're breaking the law by breaking in and stealing the sheep. And they're doing it for their own good. They're not looking out for the weak. They're not looking out for the hurt. They aren't looking for those who have wandered away. Instead, they are being cruel by imposing their fences on the others. Remember what the shepherd does? The good shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. Isn't that amazing? That that in the Christmas story, which we just looked at on Christmas Eve, that the angel comes and tells the shepherds, hey, quit looking at the 99, go look at the one. One, the one, the lamb of 
God. So they're being cruel. They're imposing their fences on others. And Jesus comes along and says, I am the gate. Instead of going over the fence, he's saying he's the way through the fence. And instead of obeying tradition, just rest in me is what the good shepherd is saying. Instead of trying to keep all of these other laws, look to Jesus who is the perfect fulfillment of all of the law. Now, another thing that helps us understand this passage is John 10 follows John 9. Now, I know that's really profound. And, and some of you are thinking, man, it's January, Pastor. Don't go so fast, right? I, I, Slow down. Beginning of the year, I didn't think I was going to get that much depth on, you know, the first sermon of the year. But, but the fact that John 10 follows John 9 means that sometimes what you got to do is go back to the previous chapter to see how it helps you interpret the chapter that you're in. And, and so we need to see what John 9 says that helps us understand John 10. And in John 9, I mentioned it, alluded to it a moment ago. We see a man who was born blind. Jesus encounters him and heals him. Not a problem. The problem is he did it on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees and the religious experts, they go and find this guy and they try to get this guy to testify against Jesus. But the guy basically says, listen, I don't know anything about all this theology and this theological stuff. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And the religious leaders can't refute that. Now they're so ticked off that they kick him out of the synagogue. And what did Jesus do? In John chapter 9 and verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, look at it. He went and found the man. That's the shepherd's way to seek and to save, to find the lost and to bring them home. The point was this man was a sheep. He was a child of God. And the religious experts kicked him out of the fold. They scaled the wall. They found the sheep and they tried to destroy him. They stole and they killed and they destroyed this man's faith. But Jesus said, I have come to bring life. And he went and found this man. And at the end of chapter 9, the Pharisees are even more angry with Jesus. And they look at Jesus and said, Jesus, why are you calling us out? We're just trying to help people here. Don't you see our nice little fences we've built around the, the law and the word of God? And Jesus said, those fences don't protect them. They keep them out. And not only will I open the gate and let them into the presence of God, watch this, I am the gate. Do you see what he's doing? I told you it's weird, that, that, imagining somebody as a gate, but he was talking about that country sheepfold, the one out in the wilderness, the, the one where, where they would go feed the sheep all day and then they couldn't make it back to the village that night, so they would stay out there and put their sheep in the sheepfold. The sheep would go out to graze in the pastures and in the wilderness, and, and the shepherd would build another sheepfold out of stones that looked more like this, and they would build this, and then there was an opening. They didn't have a gate with them, and rather than take the time to build something out of lumber, which lumber was very scarce, the shepherd at night would lay down in the opening of the gate. In other words, anyone who comes to steal or to kill or to destroy had to go through him. You know the phrase, over my dead body. This is where this comes from, that, that, that you had to kill the good shepherd if you wanted to get in and kill the sheep. And the irony 
of the whole story of Jesus is that he did die. And it was over his dead body that we can get into the sheepfold. So in John 14, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is, I am the gate. Same theology, the the very same idea. He was laying his life down literally for you and me so that we can go in and out and enjoy the very presence of God. And religion says, keep out, when faith says, come on, come on in. Have you heard the phrase in our culture, gatekeeping? Uh, I, I, I notice who said yes in, in the room. And it's not people my age and older. Gen Z, you know the phrase gatekeeping, right? But, but for the millennials and Gen X and boomers in the room, let, let, let me just clue all of you into gatekeeping. Gatekeeping is when you find something great, a new app on your phone, a new product, a new deal, a new restaurant, a new whatever, right? But you don't share it with anyone else. That generation says you're gatekeeping. And the Pharisees were gatekeeping. And Jesus is saying, I don't gatekeep around here. I am the gate. And he wants the gate to swing wide and let all of us in to enjoy the unrestricted presence and the unleashed power of God. So so write this down in the margin of your Bible, if you will. Jesus is the gate. Okay, he's the gate. And what I wanna do for the remainder of our time is I wanna show you three things that he's the gate to, all right? First of all, he is the gate to salvation. And here's the question, are you saved? Are you really saved? He tells us how we can know. In fact, he gives us the litmus test in this scripture. Look back at verse three. What he says in verse three is the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. So so the litmus test, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I listening to him? He said his sheep will know his voice. And, And church, here's the question. Is that true for you? Do you hear his voice? And does God speak to you? Do you let him speak to you? I used to just think that for some reason, God just picked favorites and chose some Christians, but not all Christians, to to speak to. And after studying this passage, this passage years ago, God convicted me that that if you've never heard God speak to you, you, you may not be saved. And at best, you're not sensitive to his voice at all. At worst, you're not saved. And just so you hear me clearly, I'm not happy that you're not saved. I know some preachers talk about people going to hell, and it appears that they're happy that the people are going to hell. I, I think people are going to hell, but I'm broken over it. As was Jesus, and he, he died to make a way. And he says that his sheep come to him. In other words, did, if you heard his voice, did you respond to his voice? It's not enough just to hear it. That's not really listening. Listening involves obeying. And when he called us to salvation, did you say yes? Did, did you follow his lead? What, what does he ask you to do? Have you done it? L- listening to him means to know him intimately. His sheep know him. 
and he knows them each by name. Listen, this is an intimate, personal relationship that the shepherd has with the, the sheep. Do you have that same kind of relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you really know him? The the scripture says that the shepherd leads them out. Circle that word in your Bible, leads. He leads them. He doesn't drive them. See, in the West, most shepherds drive the sheep. But that's not the way. Right? Every shepherd in the Middle East leads their sheep. They don't go behind and push them. Why? The sheep are too dumb to know where to go. And sometimes I preach on that and talk about, you know, the lack of intelligence in sheep, and people get offended by that. They're like, I I don't know why you would say that. I'm not dumb. Look, I'm not offended by Jesus saying the sheep don't know where to go. I, I, I find great peace in that. And I'm like, that's true. Every day, I'm like, I don't know where to go today, Lord, lead me. There's a great level of security that comes from the fact that we don't know where where to go. Instead, the shepherd in the Middle East walks out in front of his sheep and he shows them the shepherd's way. And religion drives you, it pushes you, it punishes you. But true freedom in Christ is about being led by Christ. And in order to be led, you have to make him the Lord of your life. You you, you can say once, once, yes to him, but following Jesus is not a one-time decision. You, you got to make him the Lord or you'll never know what the shepherd's way is. Listen, he's the gate to salvation. Are you saved? Secondly, he, he's the gate to protection. Look at verse 9. And remember I told you this is the pen out in the wilderness that he's talking about where the sheep are in danger from wild animals. And he says those who come through him will be saved, protected. And the next phrase says they will come and go freely in and out of the pen. In other words, they have freedom. They have new life. They have the good life because they are now free. Here's the litmus test for you today. Am I living in victory? Am I experiencing all that Jesus died to provide me with? See, once you settle your salvation, that does not mean that the devil stops. In fact, follow the illustration uh, from the fold to the wilderness. Now you're in the open country. The danger is even greater out there. And the thief who wants to take from you, kill you, and destroy you, is not letting up. And in other words, in order to be free and safe and protected, you you have to have victory. Because the thief will crawl into this text in the same way that the snake crawled into the garden, interrupting the intimacy that God has with his children. And the fact that you have access to the door, listen, church, does not mean that the thief will not come. He will come. Jesus said he will come. And and here's the question. How would you get ready if you knew a thief was coming to your house? Meredith got me a ring doorbell for Christmas, and I put it up, and it it chimes when somebody walks in front of the door. And and two nights ago, the Amazon guy came at 3.50 a.m. I would have never known that, but the chime went off. It freaked me out. I can't tell you the rest of the story, but I didn't sleep anymore. 
how would you get ready? If you knew a thief was coming to your house. Remember, remember what Jesus said. Look, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's coming for. But my purpose is to give you a rich Zoe, God life. Now, that's the NLT, which I like because of its readability. It's today's language, but this translation is missing a key word that is found in the Greek. In fact, look at the NIV. The, The thief comes, say it, only to steal, kill, and and destroy. Only. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The the word only, by the way, is modifying steal. That's the enemy's first prerogative, is to be a thief. So he's the gate to salvation. He's the gate to protection. And he is also the gate to provision. The Bible says they will come and go freely and will find good pasture. What, what, What do you think that means? They will come and go freely and find good pasture. What do we feed on? The Word of God. So so test yourself. Test yourself. Here's the litmus test. Am I feeding? This goes hand in hand. Living in victory and staying fed. They go together. They're attached at the hip living in victory and staying fed. And many of you men over the years have confessed to me privately, hey, I'm just not a good reader. I don't have good comprehension. By the way, I found something this, this year, started it on January 1. And if, if you struggle with this, you, you go to it, the Bible recap. And pull up the app on the Bible app and the Bible recap, it pulls it up every day for you. It gives you the verses. You can listen to it for those of you who struggle and are auditory learners and you can underline in it. But then there's a little devotional that I want to say Sally Lee. I know that's not her name, but it's something like, it's one of those three Southern names, huh? Tara Lee Cobble. She makes pies too, I think. <laughs> Tara Lee Cobble. And then she does a little explanation, a little five, eight, ten-minute video every day on what you just read. If you're struggling, go, go pull that up and dive in. But you will never, ever get past the fact that living in victory is attached to staying fed. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. But ask you this question, what, what is it that's holding you back, keeping you from freedom, keeping you from living in victory? And, and here's what I want us to do this week as a church. This, this is what I would, would love for us to do, is to, is to allow the Lord this week to get out his shears and to pray this every day this week. Sheep have to be sheared or they, or they get weighed down, right? Their coats get ugly and, and, and dirty with mud and briars and manure. And, and there, there are things in our lives, all of our lives that need cutting. And would you just put yourself under the shearer's uh, hands this week? I want you to pray about it. Start making a list of stuff that the Lord is saying, cut this out, cut this out. And, and maybe God already revealed it to you this week during the fast. That's what I love about fast. And for some of you, it's obvious. Cut that relationship out. It's not healthy, right? Uh, For others of you, it's not so obvious. But here's what I want you to hear. This is not a matter of uh, the good life and bad life. This is a matter of life and death for the children of God. And, and, And Jesus came and he said, I am the gate. Come through 
me. God created us and he fought to restore us and he died for that purpose and he's waiting for us to come back into the fold. And and so I would love for us to just pray together. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes at all of our campuses today? And could could I just guide you through those three questions, uh, litmus test questions I gave you this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed and hearts open? Uh, Am I listening to him? Ask yourself that question. Am I listening to him? And some of you here today, that the answer is that you, you, you don't hear him. And you need to be saved. And we're so glad you're here today on this first Sunday in January. And if that's you today, the Lord has just been prompting all over you since I said that a moment ago, are you really saved? And the Holy Spirit's been saying to you, screaming to you, shouting to you, your heart has been beating in your chest for the last few minutes, no, I'm not saved. And maybe you've been around church or in church. That's not the question. The, The question is, are you saved? Coming to church doesn't make you saved. Coming to Jesus makes you saved. And so if that's you today, would you just pray with me? Just under your breath, where you're seated, would you just say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you today to forgive me for all of my sin. Come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin. And I trust you, Jesus, to save me. The second question is, am I living in victory? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're living in victory. There are lots of people who are forgiven but not free. Would you just believe in your heart that the Lord wants to give you victory? Zoe life. Would you get over the lie that this is just the way it's going to be? Would you get over the lie that this addiction is here for life? Would you get over the lie that you you, you can't do any better, you can't go any further, that it's never going to get any better? That's just not true. He wants you to have victory. Would you this week just confess the theology of that? He's the good shepherd. Am I feeding on his word? Am I truly feeding on his word? Now, would you let the Lord speak to you today? And my encouragement to you is all afternoon, just kind of walk through those three questions and come back tonight at 6 o'clock to worship at your campus. And let's watch and see what the Lord will do. If you prayed that prayer with me a moment ago to give your life to Christ, take that Connect card out of the seat pocket in front of you and just check that box. I prayed to receive Christ and drop it in the bucket at the door on your way out. Jesus, we love you. We look forward to what we believe will be the greatest year of our lives so far. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen.